This is the Italian American Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about their heritage. We talk to experts, authors, and everyday Italian Americans on all things Italian from traditions, culture, food, genealogy, travel, and more. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and I have with me my co host, Dolores Alfieri. And we have another pretty uh, interesting episode today. We have a world champion accordion player. That's right. That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> who, who, we've, heard <laughs> who we've interviewed for this episode, who we'll introduce momentarily. But before we do that, Dolores, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Anthony. And we should add that this accordion player is unlike any accordion or accordion player you may have known or the stereotypical image that you might have in your mind right now. So you definitely want to stick around and listen to this. It's a lot of fun. We really enjoyed recording this conversation for sure. So before we begin, uh, there's a couple more weeks by the time this show airs before Christmas. So everyone hopefully has already checked out our online store. But if not, there's still time to do so. You can visit ItalianAmericanPodcast.com forward slash store and get some really charming gifts for all the people in your life. We have Prima La Familia, Family First, aprons, black and white aprons. We have T-shirts. We have onesies. We have coffee mugs. Just some really adorable, unique gifts. So definitely check it out. Again, that's ItalianAmericanPodcast.com forward slash store. All right, before I introduce our guest for today, we'd like to offer a brief word from our sponsor, the National Italian American Foundation. I'm John Viola, president of the National Italian American Foundation, proud supporters of the Italian American podcast. At NIAF, we know there's nothing more important than family, and we invite you to be a part of ours. We work hard to protect our great heritage, to promote the Italian language, to build stronger ties between Italy and the United States and to serve as your voice in our nation's capital. Most importantly, with over a million dollars a year in scholarships and grants, we provide young Italian-Americans help in earning a solid education and becoming future leaders for our community. To find out more about how your support serves the community, visit us online at www.niaf.org and become a part of the NIAF family. This is Gabriella Maletti, Director of Programs of the National Italian American Foundation, and here is your NIAF in the News. Attention all Italian American college students, NIAF has two great opportunities for you. If you've never traveled to Italy, apply today for the Ambassador Peter F. Secchia Voyage of Discovery. This all-expenses-paid trip for 20 Italian American students will take them to Italy during the summer of 2017. The deadline to apply is January 31st, 2017. And NEAF is now accepting applications for the 2017 year. The applications will be available until March 1st, 2017. Lastly, mark your calendars and join NEAF in the Big Apple on March 22nd for a memorable evening at the legendary Cipriani 42nd Street for the New York Gala. NIAF will honor distinguished Italian-Americans, including the founder of Skybridge Capital and co-host of Wall Street Week, Anthony Scaramucci. For more information on all NIAF in the news, visit www.neaf.org. All right, now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's episode. Corey Passatoro is one of only four accordionists to win world championships on both the acoustic and digital accordion and is the only person to ever also win a world championship on jazz. He is a graduate of the prestigious New England Conservatory of Music in Boston, Massachusetts, where he was the first musician 
ever to major and graduate in the accordion. Corey's main contribution is his visionary thinking of how the accordion should be used, played, and presented in modern music. He's given a TED Talk about this, which is currently the only talk in the world about the accordion. Passatora's extensive resume includes appearances at the White House for President and Mrs. Clinton on four different occasions starting at age 12, including eight other appearances for the Clintons since 2000 and 14 letters from the first family. On one of those occasions, he became the youngest person to ever perform at a state dinner performing with the Marine Strolling Strings for the President of Hungary. Some TV appearances include The Late Show with David Letterman playing with Johnny Depp, The Columbus Parade in New York City, and nationally televised programs in New Zealand, Canada, Italy, Tunisia, France, and Finland. On an American broadcast, then-CNBC host Maria Bartiromo once said, No one is currently doing more for the accordion than Corey. Corey currently gives master classes on both music theory and the accordion at various universities throughout the U.S. and Europe. A win at 16 years old in a concerto competition at the New England Conservatory of Music gave Passatore the rare opportunity to perform with the Brockton Symphony Orchestra as a featured soloist, where he became the youngest accordionist to ever solo with a symphony orchestra in the U.S. back in 2003. Concerning his jazz side, Corey recorded two CDs with saxophone legend George Garzon and his known band The Fringe at age 19 and has performed with jazz and music legends Quincy Jones and Wynton Marsalis. His performance at all three of his world championships were played on accordions that were not his and were generally 90% improvised. Both aspects are unheard of in the accordion world. Now here's Dolores to give us a quote to take us into the interview with Corey. Well, as everyone's going to hear, Anthony, we talk a, a lot with Corey about how, you know, he's, of course, playing this unusual instrument and it's very important to him to kind of bring it back and make it a popular one once again. And so this is for you, Corey, because you're doing what you believe in and what you're passionate about. This is from Ray Bradbury. Love what you do and do what you love. Don't listen to anyone else who tells you not to do it. All right, now it's time for the main segment of our show and our interview with Corey Passatoro. But before I jump in with Corey, I do want to recognize a new sponsor that we have for the Italian American podcast, which we're excited about. Our sponsor is Nona Box. And again, we keep this show free for our listeners. So we really appreciate when sponsors do support the show so that we can keep it free. Like so many Italians and Italian Americans, I longed for a taste of home after moving to the U.S. four years ago, says Guido Pedrelli, founder of Nona Box. Every month, Nona Box features a different Italian region by selecting six of its gourmet artisanal imported products. In showcasing the region, Nona Box also shares the story of a regionally local Italian Nona along with three of her favorite traditional recipes. Some of these recipes use products from the box. Each box also comes with cards that include the gastronomic history of the region, as well as explanations about the box's products, serving suggestions, and even regional wine pairings from an Italian sommelier. Visit nonabox.com and use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout for $10 off your order. And again, you can check out the website. The box is just beautiful, and Guido's giving a great discount for our listeners if you want to pick up another gift for your family around the holidays. So we're excited to have him sponsor, and we appreciate it. You need to get an Italian-American podcast, Prima La Famiglia apron, 
and a nona box. Yeah. And that's a beautiful gift for anybody in your family. I actually know somebody who already did that, and that's a very charming gift. All right, now it's time for our main segment. And for today's guest, we are thrilled to have with us Corey Passatoro. Corey is a world-renowned accordion player. Dolores and I got to meet him and see his work at the NEAF Gala this past October in Washington, D.C. And Corey, welcome to the Italian American Podcast. Thank you for having me. So honored to be here. It's great to talk to you again, Corey. Well, I know we did it at NIAF, and now look at this. Now we're on the <laughs> It was the lots of fun, yeah. See, you guys, <laughs> this is why going to these galas and such are, is really important, you know? Like you meet people you never would have met otherwise, and you, know, you make connections that last. It's great. You make friends, not connections. So, That's Corey, right. to start the show, uh, we usually ask people to tell us a little bit about where they grew up, and in terms of your Italian-American experience, tell us a little bit about how you were raised in that respect. Well, you know, just to go right to the accordion, the fact people always say, why did you choose accordion? And the, the simple answer is, well, my dad played. But the real answer is, why did he play? Because it was just a thing to do in Italian culture. He grew up mm -hmm. in the 50s, and the accordion was very popular there. And, of course, very popular because that was that's what you did as a good young Italian boy, you know, <laughs> you <played> accordion. <laughs> and uh, an accordion kind of, it was very, very big in Rhode Island. And people always say, why, you know, how come that was a hotspot for accordion? It was because Rhode Island is, you know, 50% Italian. So there's just, there's accordions everywhere, and everybody played accordion. If you didn't play accordion, you were the weird kid you know now today it's like what if you play accordion you're the weird <laughs> kid but, but not back then I grew up yes very Italian family all stereotypes they're all there eating great food and very family oriented I'd go over both grandparents house every Sunday and uh, had to watch Lawrence Welk at seven o'clock at my dad's uh, parents house you know and, and in those days you couldn't uh, go on your phone to see who won the football game once seven o'clock came if the game wasn't over it was Lawrence Welk time and we were gonna watch <laughs> Myron Florin play the accordion and uh, you gotta play like Myron Florin okay <laughs> So that was my upbringing. Yes, very Italian for sure. Wait, and actually, didn't you, uh, just as a little aside, didn't you end up playing on Lawrence Welk or something along those lines? Wow, very good research. Yes. <laughs> uh, my first major gig when I was 12 years old, I was supposed to open up for the Traveling Lawrence Welk show, kind of what was left of it, which was a lot of the guy, Bobby Sissy kind of thing, and Myron Florin, of course. But Myron got sick, so instead of me doing 10-minute kind of intro, as you know, the accordion has some young people playing, they had me do like 25 minutes and take over his spot. And that was like my first big gig. Like, oh my God, I'm sit in for Myron Florin. <laughs> so, How old were you? Uh, 12. You were 12. You've really been doing this a long time. I've, I know, I've, <laughs> I've been doing it quite a long time. So did your parents come from Italy or your grandparents? Well, I know that's the only sad thing is like, as, as Italian as my family is, you have to go back to the great grandparents on all sides uh, to get back to Italy. My grandmother on my dad's side was the closest. She was one of 12, and she was one of only two that were born here in the States. Everybody else was born in Italy. So, but yeah, no, you have to go back to the great-grandparents to get to Italy. But uh, when you look at me, it's like, oh, he's clearly Italian. And, you know, the whole family is very, very Italian. So it's, you would think that only parents are grandparents. but no, I think that's great. Yeah, I actually no. find that very impressive and refreshing because, you know, for me, as my, our listeners already know, I... I'm first generation, so my parents came here. And I kind of feel like it's easy for me to talk about being Italian. You know, what else 
really did I know out inside my home growing up, but I, hearing, you know, that you can be that many generations removed from the original immigrants and still feel so Italian, Italian-American is terrific. I'm just so proud to be Italian, and I, w- I always say I wouldn't trade it for anything. What does the say is that there are two kinds of people, yes. either Italians or people yeah. that want to be Italian. Right. <laughs> and, and you run across that around the world, even though there's so many cultures. Definitely French is very popular. But at the end of the day, you hear so many people say, oh, yeah, I know, uh, Italians. Oh, I wish I was Italian. A lot of listeners who, who actually are an Italian, but you know, maybe they grew up around Italians and they've always been just kind of enamored by the culture. So we love that. Very friendly people. That's, you know. <laughs> we try. We try. Hey, Corey, do you know where your family was from in Italy? So I am all central, all eight great-grandparents, because some of them met here, you know, and, and some of them met there, but all eight are from central. Some is uh, L'Aquila, Sulmona, some actually right in Rome, and then this other town uh, called Arch, this little town uh, near Rome. So it's all pretty much central. Let's dive in here a little bit more to your career You've had a tremendous amount of success, and we're going to link to Corey's website, and you can see some of the places he's gone. I mean, from the White House to places all over the world. And I guess the question is, is to get this good at something, Corey, you must have spent a tremendous amount of time as a kid just working on the accordion over and over. Is that true? When you're young, you have to make a decision whether you want to just be another normal kid and go have lots of fun with your friends and do crazy things and blah, blah, blah on weekends. Or you have to decide, well, you know, this Friday night I need to do this or I need to play a gig or I need to practice. Hey, we're going to go do this. Eh, I got to practice. It takes away a lot of that. You know, you have to realize early on that there's a sacrifice. But I mean, really, my success, I would put a lot of it because of Italian upbringing and the fact that, you know, my dad, especially very, very stern kind of, you got to practice the old Italian way. The other thing that he's very big on is anytime I had any big accomplishment, he would always have kind of a, yeah, that and two dollars will get you a coffee. (laughs) Kind of an attack, which today is just completely being destroyed by, you know, giving trophies to everybody, participation. He, you know, that's not him. To him, to make greatness, and I agree with him, you have to be very tough. If you make sure, you know, you do it at an early age. I knew I won my first little New England title. And he's like, yeah, he played all right. You know, I was good. I was like, oh, I guess I got to achieve more. And then I would achieve more, achieve more. And right to when I won my last world championship, I was like, oh, wow, I never, I would have bet against you on that one. You played all right. You sucked on that second song. What the heck was that? And that to me, that kind of uh, really tough love, I think creates greatness. And just telling Mm. everyone that they're great from early on is not a long-standing success. I attribute a lot of it to the way I was brought up in that. And I see that in a lot of Italian cultures. Like, all right, you achieve that. Okay, you can do better. And meanwhile, right. it doesn't mean they're not thinking you're doing great. It's just you realize later on, no, that they're just setting the bar higher. And I, oh, you've achieved this. Let's push the bar higher and see how higher you can go. I totally appreciate that. That is really funny. I'm just thinking, like a few weeks ago, my daughter scored four goals in her soccer game. And I'm like, Brie, what happened on that breakaway? You had that breakaway. It's like, I, <laughs> and she's like, Dad, I scored four goals. And I see that, you know, being in New England, of course, we're a Patriots fan, and Tom Brady is a god up here. And he every time he's done a press conference, they're like, Tom, you know, you had four touchdowns for you. Yeah, but yeah, there's a couple of passes I just did and I could work on, you know. <laughs> That's how you achieve it. 
in today's day and age, it's true. It's like, well, you know, but but she tried, you know, like Brianna tried. What's the big deal? Or she scored four goals. And and I think that a lot of we call like, of course, Americans, we're all Americans, but they uh, could see that as putting your kid down or something like that. But I completely agree with you, Corey, that it was the way they built us up to be tougher, stronger and push harder and work more. And it kind of has a bad rap nowadays for some reason. You know, everyone's yeah. like, oh, <laughs> I know. I'm like, why? Well, let's achieve. Let's do things. What's wrong yeah. with that? I don't know where teaching people they failed, like that became a negative thing. Like, no, that's, I mean, you have to fail to, be, you know, to become stronger. The old Italians, they were so strong, thick skin. I mean, nothing. I see that still today in the fact that, you know, everybody gets offended by so many things recently. And I don't ever see that with Italians. The only time the Italian community came up and said, okay, we got to do something about this was Jersey Shore. That was really the only time I can remember where Italians were like, we got to actually speak they up. They crossed the line with it that. It did. But that yeah. line is so far ahead where, you know, we see right now what's on the radio, the Italian Christmas donkey. That's not exactly wonderful for the Italians, but right. we laugh at it. I was at Universal in L.A. with some people, and they had this area where they had a woman on the second floor of brick building, kind of being like New York in the 50s, you know, saying all these things that Italians would say back then. Someone could be like, oh, this is offensive. No, we laugh at it. We're like, yeah, that's what my mother would have done, too. She would have done this. This is funny. The (laughs) only time we really got offended was Jersey Shore, as we had a right to. But that's it. We just, we love our stereotypes, so to speak. It's like, if you're not loud and you don't eat a lot of garlic and you don't eat a lot of pizza, (laughs) then you're not Italian. Get out of the family. Because that's how we keep our cultures. We love all those unique things about us. We want to keep those things. We don't want to get rid of them. That's funny. Anthony reminds me of uh, Pat Harrison. We had Pat Harrison on. The, she's the uh, CEO for the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Great lady. And we talked about Jersey Shore and other kind of like stereotypes about Italian-Americans, you know, because, of course, she's in the media. And she basically said the same thing. She said, you know what our problem is, our Italian-Americans, is that we're kind of divided. Some of us care about these stereotypes and some of us really don't. And because we all basically have this attitude like, whatever, you're going to make fun of me. <clears throat> Like, I care. It's yeah. no big deal. And you it's laugh. no big deal. I always say, if you're proud of these things and you should never be offended by them, you know, I would never be offended if someone said, Corey, your breath smells like garlic. Well, yeah, I just had my mom's garlic pizza. Yeah, of course. It's delicious. You should have some. You wish your breath smelled like garlic. I think so, it's part of that, that uh, thick skin, too, you know? Yeah, well, again, exactly. It's having thick skin, and it, it all goes with hours brought up, and I think that's so much better for a million. We could spend hours talking about the benefits of yes. being like that as opposed we to have. being the <laughs> other way. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. Maybe there is going to be a backlash on the past couple of years of going this the participation trophy route. There's going to mm-hmm. be some kind of a turnaround, hopefully. But Italians, we're just going to keep doing our thing. You're right. And I tell you, we talk about this on the show all the time, Corey, about the work ethic that the old school Italian instilled in their kids. And it's great to hear someone like you, who's really good at what you do, say that it's a product of that. Because that's like what we feel like Dolores and I feel like it's a really powerful thing to be raised by that because it can give you a lot of opportunity. It builds you in a way like you're not going to lose, right? Because you have no stop in you. No, no, no. There's, There's no stop. No, not at all. And I mean, I guess that that all comes from the hard life of before, where if you didn't succeed or whatever you were doing, you didn't eat. Now it's not nearly that hard in life. But, you know, back then it was so hard. So that it instilled them. And I would like to continue that mentality to my kids eventually, because uh, I think that's the way to go. And, you know, my success, I really attributed massively to that upbringing. 
It's honorable. You know, I mean, I feel like Italian-Americans, we have many gifts to offer the world and American society in particular. But for me, the fact that work is honorable, that's a big gift that we can give. My father wasn't the most educated man. He wasn't even the most sophisticated man, but he knew the value of hard work and he built a little empire of his own, raised four kids, like took our generation to an entire new level because he valued and honored work. So Corey, let's talk a little bit more about your career. I mean, a lot of people have, I would say, routine jobs. They go somewhere nine to five, they go to a desk, an office, whatever the case may be. I'm imagining that your career is anything like that. I mean, you're on the road, you're doing very creative things. You find yourself on stages surrounded by people in the White House, wherever. What does your day week look like? I mean, I'm sure it involves a lot of practice, but tell us about it. It is the lifelong goal to never be in a nine to five. That is the <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the life of a musician if you really get down to it, I think. There were two big motivators to become a musician. One was to not get up early. That was a big one. I remember in middle school saying, I am not doing uh, this is not long for me, getting up at six in the morning. And the other one was, yeah, just seeing like the, the monotonous go to work, come home, go to work. Come on, girl. No, 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 I want to do something unique. Now, obviously, being a musician, you know, there's a lot, there's always advantages and disadvantages to everything. Financially, musicians are always in trouble, just always in trouble. Even when you're successful, there's no benefits of being a musician that you get. So there's that. But the thing is, I get paid to travel. I go to Europe, do all these things, come home and have made money where usually people spend their whole life making tons of money. And then they spend the last 10 years of their life spending it going to travel. I'm traveling now as a single musician, just running around. It's and I see the world. I meet people all over the place and it's amazing. And there's always you're always trying to get that big break. Oh, I'm going to tour with this musician. Okay, that's going to do it. Or you finally get a big agent or something. It's like, as fun as it is, I wouldn't recommend it, being a musician. Now. And the other thing is with the accordion, obviously, you know, I spent the first many years of my life complaining about how the reason I couldn't get big was because I was an accordion player. And just the people, the generation that runs the world right now is a generation, the post-accordion generation that wanted to do rock and guitar and said, oh, my parents do accordion. I'm not doing accordion. Nah. So they didn't teach their kids, you know, anything about accordion, which is why I think it has a big chance to come back because young people don't even have the stereotype of accordion as a poke instrument. They don't really know it like that. But it's getting the people that kind of run everything, whether it's agencies or TV, to actually give me a chance to go on and play accordion. And they're not going to hear polka. I'm going to play techno music. I'm going to do jazz trio right, you know, within my two hands, things like that. There's the benefit now, the past couple of years, I realized my success is a lot because I'm really good at something that hardly anybody is that good at. So it's a double-edged sword in that way. So what you're saying is that Corey Passatore is going to make the accordion great again? I, well, no, you know, it's funny. I've always kind of said something like that. And when I saw Trump's deal, I was like, wait a minute, make accordion cool again. And then as his campaign went on, I was like, I can't really even use that now, especially musicians are very much on the left side. So it's like if I even say, well, yeah, I'm trying and I go to say it in interviews. Well, I'm just trying to make accordion cool like it used to be. I can't. You, know, you can I say it here. Okay. Yeah. So I have to alter it a little. But it is. That's what I'm, I'm trying to make accordion great again. That's literally what I am doing. 
Because in the 50s, the accordion was like the number one instrument. It's hard to imagine today. It was the number one instrument. Everybody played it. Nobody played guitar. And then 10 years later, it just viciously changed to where the accordion dropped off to the point by where the late 60s, you couldn't get a date or get a gig if you played accordion. (laughs) Literally, in 10 years, or even from the early 60s to the late 60s, it was a precipitous drop-off, and it hasn't recovered since then, where the guitar has reigned supreme for 50 years nonstop. But it's unique. I mean, listen, it's a unique thing. You carve out a niche. Like you said, you do something well that a lot of people don't do well, and part of the reason is because a lot of people don't playing this instrument anymore for the, some of the reasons that you explained, which is great. But I think one of the things that's really cool about it, and what we talk about a lot on this show with regards to like being Italian-American, is that there's certain things that bring people together, like Italian food, of course. You know if grandma's cooking on Sunday, the place is going to have 40 people in the basement and everyone's eating the food together. But uh, music is another thing, right? At the gala, like you're sitting there in front of all these people, you're playing these classical Italian songs with your own flair, and people are into it, which got to feel awesome, I would imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And to you, that's right. You were at the gala night where I kind of, I asked the people, I was like, how much liberty can I take here? Like, no, you can do it. So I did Anima Core to start, something that the, you know, the old generation, oh, he knows that stuff. And I forget what I did second. But then I ended on a techno version of Mambo Italiano. That's right. Just to show what the accordion is actually capable of. We should tell uh, listeners yeah. that, I mean, Corey's going to play something for us later on in the uh, interview, but we should let listeners know that what you're doing is something they probably haven't really heard before. I mean, it's crazy stuff. It's very modern. It's very inventive. You play the accordion like you're an entire band kind of in and of yourself. So it's something different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> the accordion is the most amazing instrument. It's the only instrument where you can play about 12 notes at once and also change the volume at any time. Because the only other instruments that can play that many notes is guitar and piano. But on both those instruments, once you hit a note, you're done on volume. You can't change it once you hit it. But the accordion, you can do whatever you want at any time you want. And now with all the electronics, it's showing you know what it is truly capable of. And it's an Italian instrument, so there you go. So have you been to Italy to play at all? Sadly, I've only been to Italy what, four times right now, which is quite low. I and mean, I'll be back there definitely uh, this coming year at least once. But there's one town in Italy, Castelfidardo, which has been the center of accordion for 100 years. And uh, pretty much 95% of the accordions that exist on the planet are from that one town. Oh, wow. All the companies, they all just went there. So if anything, you know, <laughs> go to Italy, go to Castelfidardo. It's something to see, the nope. mecca of accordion. What's the reception there when you go to play there? It's good, especially because, again, they, they think I'm from Italy. <laughs> like, uh-huh. they, look at me, they hear the accents and they say, oh, yeah, but, you know, oh, good, an American boy, it still knows the Italians. Right. Obviously, I'm more known for jazz and all these other crazy things now, but I grew up, all my first gigs were playing all the Italian songs, and that will always be there. I hope to keep playing them. for. It, it's almost sad, though, a lot of times, because when I was young, you go to a restaurant, you go wherever to play, and, you know, whoever was there would know these tunes. Even if they weren't Italian, they would know Femina. They would know Aldi La just from them becoming popular. But now, just in the past 10 years, a lot of that has died off. And I don't hear that as much because a lot of times now the older, quote unquote, older generation now wants like Beatles and stuff. And I'm like, oh, no, my big <laughs> crowd is where they go. They're, they're aging way out. They're not. Yeah, I know. Where's anymore. The, yeah, I know. Yeah. Mean. Where's the people that want Arrivederci Roma? Where's where are they? I think you're going to have to wait until our generation is older. 
It's like, yeah. wait, I feel like things swing so far. Oh, they do. They cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they cycle through. So what was your family's reaction? I mean, you've mentioned a couple tidbits about, you know, them, of course, sounds like encouraging you to learn how to play the accordion. But what about when you kind of were like, I'm going to do this for a living? My mom is very, very encouraging. So she, you know, she didn't care as long as I love what I was doing. My dad, probably half of him is like, oh, God, how are you going to make any money being a musician? But the other half of him always wanted to be an accordion player. So he kind of lives vicariously through me. So in, in that way, he wants to see me do this. Because by the time I was 12, it was obvious that I had a natural talent for it. And, you know, by the time I was planning on colleges, I was a national champion. So it was like, well, yeah, I should continue this, at least go for it. Actually, I didn't love playing accordion until I was probably 17 or so. I did it because I knew I had a talent for it and it would be a waste not to do it. I liked it, but I didn't love it. And I have a million hobbies and interests. But then when I found jazz, that was kind of when I was like, oh, yeah, this instrument is really amazing. And then I went back and circled around all the other things that are, now I love all of it. How about when you play, like you've played at the White House? I know, that was a devastating night for my career, <laughs> Hillary losing. <laughs> I, w I would have been back in the White House, but it's, it's kind of cool. I don't have to talk politics with people. I can just say, well, my opinion doesn't matter because if Hillary gets in, I go back to the White House. So that's, you know, <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have to talk about policy. I just talk about, look, all that matters is, uh, yeah, if she gets in, my career is good. Well, maybe Trump will invite you. Who knows? I'm going to work on, I mean, Joe Piscopo is uh, very tight with him. So I'm going to work on me and him to a little Italian show for him, maybe. Listen, tell him you're making the accordion great again, man. Come on. I've, I'm going to get a hat. I think I'm going to make like my own red hat, make accordion great again. And people think, oh, I'm make America, you're a Trump. Wait a minute, that says accordion? What hat is that? But anyway, what I was saying was when you get onto these stages, I mean, how is it not? I mean, I, I guess it's, you're, you've done it so many times. I'm just thinking of your nerves and like being in like on the White House playing for Hillary Clinton. Like, how do you deal with that? How have you just over time, I guess, or what? Because when I was young, it didn't really affect me. I remember playing. I mean, I can go back to that memory of me standing in front of the Clintons when I was 12. I wasn't nervous because it's like, oh, my God, the president. But you don't think of it, you know, mm -hmm. when you're that young. And the third time I went back was when I played the state dinner, uh, which was a big one. And but at that time, I had already gotten to know the Clintons. So it wasn't that big of a deal. And then once my career really got going, I got to hang out with a lot of big people, as I have, of course, especially the past 10 years or so. I mean, you know, you just just treat famous people like I'd treat anybody. And then, you know, to speak of one that you guys had on Franco Harris, I mean, how could you be nervous meeting him? He's like the most down-to-earth guy of all time. So nice. Plus, the thing is, you know, hardly anybody really knows much about music, even though everybody says, oh, I love this music, I love this music, and blah, blah, blah. Everybody feels entitled to know that they know what's good music. People don't really know much about it. So when you worry is when you play in front of like when I play at a world championship and I'm playing in front of contestants and playing in front of judges where I'm not competing now, I'm a performer. So I better be really good right. to be on stage. That's where I get nervous. They have ear for the music and the eyes for the instrument. So that's where it's nerve wracking, but I don't know. No, just have fun. And then if you have fun, the audience is going to have fun and it, it just comes out like that. Well, as our, our listeners, I'm sure can tell by now, you definitely have a, you know, a fun, effervescent kind of personality and at the National Italian American Foundation Gala Weekend in DC, you were there and uh, another one of our past guests, Michela Melozzi was there and she did a big tarantella. She led a big tarantella Friday night, which was so much fun. And so 
you and Michaela and me and Anthony, we all kind of got to hang out all weekend. And there was this really great, fun, youthful energy there that at the same time as, you know, we're all young and kind of American and modern, we all have this old school kind of Italian streak going through us. It's a great balance. It's a, it's a great way to go forward. There were a lot of young people, and that was really exciting. It really was. <laughs> it was really exciting to see. I was worried at first, like, oh, God, what's, are there going to be enough young people that I feel confident about the future of this culture? And it was flooded with young people. Yeah, it really was. That's why we love to have guests on like you, Corey, that are young and energetic and you have this really lively energy because we need to continue to get that out there, right? I mean, like you said, it's the future of our culture and uh, it's just great when we can all get together and try to do that. And if you are a listener and you can ever get to one of these gals or one of these events where there are a lot of Italian-Americans together, you've got to do it. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> Big time. It was tons of fun. So what are some of the highlights of your career? Tell us, tell us about some of the big moments for you. The big moments. I mean, yeah, obviously, obviously <laughs> it's like one of the Aside from meeting big... us at the gala. <laughs> at the gala. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, to be you know, brought down there to perform is certainly an honor. So, I mean, I've heard about NIAF forever. And I was like, Corey, we're going to get you at NIAF. But it, it, I don't know, whatever happened, it didn't. Finally, it happened. But obviously, you know, my first gig and, and the first year with the White House, those are some of the biggest gigs, oddly enough, of uh, my career. Right? So, But recently, uh, obviously playing on David Letterman's show with Johnny Depp, that was pretty cool. He's definitely more, everybody's like, what is he like? He's a musician. He's not an actor. Huh. He's totally, think of your average Berkeley musician, really laid back, just chilling, jamming at Berkeley. That's Johnny Depp. Let's see, what other, other big ones? I mean, obviously the three world championships were huge moments, especially the last one. The only reason I went for the last one was because people said, oh, Corey, yeah, he doesn't really play acoustic. He can't play. He only plays electric. So I was like, and again, you know, Italians, you want to make Italians achieve something? Tell them they can't do it. <laughs> so that's literally the only reason I went for that one. I was like, oh, I, oh, I can't. I can't play acoustic. Oh, no. I don't, I, oh, all right. All right. No, I don't. I don't play acoustic. So I went over there. I grabbed an accordion there because I, I couldn't get it on the plane. as that fiasco. So I just grabbed an accordion there and played it. And then that was like, okay, I promptly retire now from competition. Okay, that's settled. Who else have Let's, you played with that are, 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 are I know. recognized? I'm, try, I'm trying You're to on think. the spot right now. So. Well, I mean, definitely Lady Gaga. I'm, I'm trying to push some, some big things, actually be like on a tour with her because, I mean, she's another one. Very Italian, very connected to her Italian roots. Her yeah. parents, like, tour with her just because that's what Italians do. You know, we're going to come with you. No, Mom, Dad, yeah, we're going to come with you. We'd uh, love let's... to have her on the show. I give her a shout-out every now and then. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, downtime. I'll try to push that. No, she, I bet she would. I mean, if her people got to her on that, because she's so proud to be Italian. She right. always talks and she about it. Right, and she seems like a girl like from the block. It's great. It's perfect. She is, and she's not crazy. That's kind of, she's just a marketing genius on that way. Very she's talented. really not. Yeah, and very, very talented. Well, we can um, talk about that after. I know, yeah, after. We'd yeah. love that for sure, yeah. So, Corey, can we have you play something here on the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I can, <laughs> I got to think about, wait, listen, uh, I know there's all these big career modes. I can't think of them right now. So let me, <laughs> I'll get the accordion out. I was going to say, think about it while you're, uh, I think you're playing with people like Johnny Depp and Lady Gaga because the accordion's kind of making its way back. Well, kind I mean, right now it's more in the way of a show and tell, like, oh, what's that? It's more in that category <laughs> right now. Soon, I mean, but once I can get somewhere big with it, and get on some bigger, get on a tour and such, then it will be because of that. I'm sure of it. 
Love the idea of you on tour with Lady Gaga. I'm rooting for that. Yeah, rooting rooting for that. Sorry. Let me grab. Then I'll have to figure out the best way to have it sound at least somewhat decent over the microphone of a phone. But let's see here. Okay. Let's see. If I put on these, then the wire can go behind. I feel like I'm at a recording studio. I got the headphones on. (laughs) Great. Uh, There it is. (laughs) <laughs> what uh, what tune I should I? Well, I could do a little mix of. I could do like a couple of seconds of different things. Uh, no, I'll do this. Oh, all right, all right. Yeah, sounds the, good. Uh, well, yeah, maybe we could do. It sounds great. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's not. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> if I do, well, you know, actually, that's good because then I'll. When, uh, when you do decide, me. when you do decide, just let our let our listeners know what you're gonna play. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to think when we're gonna go. All right, and now Corey's got his accordion, <laughs> and he's gonna play something for it. You know, cut, cut. Uh, let's see. We got this. I'm just trying to make a little little set here because all the different settings. See the the electric one here. It's just, I'm just gonna. Pick. Okay, so we'll do seven and that one. Okay, there's the boss. All right, I'll, I'll do a couple little, I'll just do a little couple snippets here. Awesome. All right, so now Corey Pesatoro is going to play a little accordion for us. Go ahead, Corey. Let's hear it. All right, let's see. There's some different, different things you do. <laughs> Don't forget, this is just the accordion. <laughs> this is just—it's just, it's, it's just the, Corey. <laughs> this is only me. This is only me. You could do. Let's see. Something like you're doing at the end of the uh, the show there at NIAF. Uh, let's see. You know, we don't need guitarists. We know accordion is a good, you know, guitar to go with the accordion. Oh, my gosh. And then I can put reverb on it and make it sound really, you know. (laughs) No? 
that was, uh, if I did that, see, if I did that on the accordion, it's, uh, but it's just the sound, you know. Now you can hear how Corey's making the accordion cool again, because that is really, that was, that's cool stuff. There you go. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Thank you, Corey, for doing that. It is an amazing instrument. Uh, yeah, no, no, no problem. Corey, let me ask you this. Do you play like concerts? Like how can people see you play or get a feel for this? This is kind of the issue with uh, being a musician is, you know, everybody thinks the usual musician goes on tour and plays with their band. And no, that's, that's, that's not really the real life. You play a zillion different gigs, especially being an accordion player. I regularly play 10, 11, 12 genres. Tomorrow I'll be doing a Klezmer gig. The next gig after that will be a kind of jazz Christmas party. I have a French thing with a singer. We're just doing Edith Piaf music. Now, are these all over the place or do you stay in the... Yeah, no, no, no. They're all over the place because I'm in L.A. quite a bit. I'm trying to become kind of the, the accordion guy of L.A. for recordings and everything else. But no, they're, they're definitely all over the place. I mean, people can Google you and we can... I mean, I see videos and stuff of you on all over the place. So people can definitely check you out easily. And we'll link to Corey's website where he talks about a lot of the stuff he's done. Yeah. And, and the Ted talk is probably something, you know, that to get an idea of what am I doing? What have I done? What, have, you know, what, what's my goal here? The Ted talk kind of goes over a, a lot of that. Oh, I um, missed that. I haven't watched that. Let's just check ah, that out. Yeah. When did you do that? What a year and a half ago? So it's incredible. Two years, two years ago, yeah. With the accordion, of course. With Naturally. the accordion, going uh, going over, you know, the the history of the accordion and where it's at now, what I'm where I'm trying to bring it. Corey, aside from making the accordion great again and getting in, <laughs> <laughs> getting into the Trump White House to perform, what are some of your goals coming up here? What can people expect from you? That's kind of funny. It's like, what is your one year plan or five year plan? Yeah, don't ask me, me that question in return. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, I mean, musicians life that you have the goal of I want to get famous. I want to play around the world and be known. And really, every day is just a push towards that. There's not, you know, we don't have like a point plans because at any moment you happen to get on, uh, you know, whatever Stephen Colbert show and you play and all of a sudden, boom. You know, everybody knows who you are. And it's your job to take that first base and get your career to second base. But you kind of need you need the luck from that. point. that's the one area of a career where you need luck is you've gotten all your skills. You've gotten accomplishments. You've, you've done all these things, getting it out to the public. That's where you need the luck. Then from that point, then you better market yourself well and do what you're supposed to do. To get it from there. But I'm been at that point for a while. Where I've been trying to figure out how I can be seen because this is the problem is you know nobody knows who I am outside of the accordion world and, and some people in the music world but the, the general public has no idea well you're working on that and working on that <laughs> and this show will help a little and you know I think that's Anthony and I of course have the show and I'm a writer still working on getting my first book published we have like our own of course ambitions and goals and I think that sometimes we think that it's there's going to be like a huge bomb that's going to detonate and all of a sudden everything is going to fall into line I really think it's more like what we talked about at the start of this conversation it's that slow steady hard work that adds up to something you know you have to have the goods because I mean you see people will get famous for something and I'll go oh god really that they, they right. got famous I'm still here but it won't last <laughs> because because yeah. if the goods aren't there, it's not going to last. So 
Yeah, I would love to see an Italian-American podcast get fit because, you know, Italians have kind of been left in the dust. Everything is about we're going to celebrate Latino month. We're going to celebrate this month. That Nobody talks about the Italians because apparently, you know, well, we don't have any special points. We were fine. There was never oppression for us. So so we don't get any points. So that's the, right. You need Italian <laughs> Heritage Month. Nobody is celebrating, you know, Italian heritage. Well, what? You guys were fine. You had the mob and everything. What do you, you know? You, don't, <laughs> you were taken you care need, of. You were, you were yeah. Come on. You people don't need any points. It's like uh, people don't realize when Italians came here, like my great grandparents 100 years ago, they were tossed to the side of the street like right. Irish and other people. We're That's certainly working on it. I mean, we like I, I've mentioned already, and we talk about a lot, we do feel like we have a lot of gifts to offer. And, and when I say that, it's not just words. I really think that the Italian-American value system and some of the things As we, we talk talked about, about, right, right. Right, exactly. Yeah. is something really to pass on to future generations of all Americans. You know, it's something to look to in, in many ways. I love that you have a youthful, forward-looking energy, but you're also steeped in this tradition and you do know all the old Italian songs, and it is an Italian instrument. And I feel like in that way, you know, minus the music skills, <laughs> we're very much kindred spirits, you know, Anthony as well, where we're connected on that level, that old-fashioned bass. I'm a total, always been a traditionalist, you know, on all the holidays. No, we got to do it this way. We got to do this. That's yeah. right. <laughs> and I've always been called like the 90-year-old, 10-year-old, the 90-year-old, 15-year-old, always, you know, I'm always <laughs> an old soul in that way. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm all about that. I'm all about that. So. That's good stuff. Well, once again, Corey Pesatora from CoreyPesatora.com will link to Corey's site, some of his work. He's been doing an amazing job, and I, I'm confident that he's going to really make this accordion something that people get more excited about as we move on here. And he certainly excited Dolores and I about it when we saw him at NEF and that's why we invited him on the show. So Corey, thanks for spending some time with us. We know you're busy and we wish you kind of the best here as you, as you move forward. Well, thank you guys so much for having me on. I and mean, uh, I look at the list of people you've had on. It's like, wow, <laughs> I, I've made it here. Look at that. <laughs> Man, goodness. We're glad to have you for sure. Thanks Corey. Thank you. Thank you. It's now time for the Italian-American story segment of the episode. This is the part of the show where we try to bring you back to your family gatherings, conversations, and we try to play a recording or a story from one of our listeners or our own relatives or even something that we read from a listener that has been submitted. But what we're going to do today is highlight a really great effort called the Italian Garden Project. I got the opportunity to meet Elise and Mary at the NEF Gala in October, which seems to be a running theme in this episode. <laughs> and when I heard about what they were doing and trying to preserve Italian gardening efforts, I immediately asked them to come on the podcast and talk about it. So before you do listen to them talking about this wonderful project, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this segment, Select Italy. Select Italy is the ultimate source for travel to Italy and offers a wide array of superior Italian travel products and services, including customized itineraries, fascinating tours, romantic getaways, unique and fun culinary classes, yacht charters, transportation, hotel reservations, villa bookings, tickets for museums and musical events, and more. Now I'm joined by Mary and Elise from the Italian Garden Project, which is at theitaliangardenproject.com. I had the pleasure of meeting both of them at the National Italian American Foundation Expo a few weeks ago at the gala in Washington, D.C. Mary and Elise, welcome to the Italian American Podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. 
if you're a listener, you probably know that Dolores and I are pretty passionate about preserving Italian and Italian-American traditions, memories. I mean, that's kind of how the show was born, and that's what this segment is for especially. And when I met with Mary and Elise, I couldn't help but think that our missions are, are very similar. So, Mary, why don't you tell us what the Italian Garden Project is? The Italian Garden Project is really all about preserving and celebrating Italian-American gardening heritage. It's about making sure that people realize what a strong connection Italian-Americans have always had to the earth and to growing things. You know, we want to make sure that we preserve and don't lose this connection and recognize that Italian-American gardening traditions are more relevant than they've ever been. With the growing environmental and economic uncertainty, those traditions may be needed in a way that they were never needed in the past. And it's important that we learn from those who still know about them, have that wisdom and knowledge that was brought over from a gardening lifestyle and lifestyle connected to the earth, brought here and are passed down to a new generation, a younger generation, like they had been for generations. But now we're trying to do it in a new way because the oral tradition that was always passed down isn't available now. So we're trying to do it in any way possible. And one way is definitely through our website. That's great. And, you know, you're right. And we talk about this on the podcast all the time. You know, I think a lot of the stereotypical ideas and thoughts of when someone thinks about Italian food is pasta, meatballs. But in reality, when you go back in time, a lot of the immigrants that came here were farmers. Exactly. They lived off the land. We had Lydia Bastianich on the show talking about how when she grew up in Italy, they ate whatever was available in season, whatever they could grow. And that's why I think that this is great what you're doing because people need to understand that that's where Italian food came from. That's how Italians ate. And it's great that you're trying to pass it on. So just so kind of our listeners get an understanding. So do you try to find what you can either from immigrants that are still alive here or their relatives that did gardening in Italy and then try to archive it on your website? Is that how it works? Or Yeah, we meet with gardeners, primarily gardeners who came in the post-World War II generation. So they're in their 70s, 80s, 90s today and still gardening. Yep. And because Italy had changed so little between the First and Second World War, the lifestyle that they left behind and therefore the gardening traditions that they brought to the U.S. are very similar to what my great-grandparents and Mary's grandparents who came during mass migration would have done. So we are working primarily with post-World War II Italian immigrants, but it's tr documenting a tradition that sort of spans the entire breadth of Italian migration into this country. Oh, that's interesting. And we meet with them. We photograph their gardens. We try to learn everything that they can teach us, you know, whether it's when to harvest garlic. You should do that when the moon is full, by the way. Or when to fertilize your tomato plants or how to save seeds. And then we try to share that information via our website. That's amazing. And just so we're clear for all the listeners. I guess when you say the mass migration, you're referring to the earlier 1900s. I'm referring to basically 1900 through 1924 when the Immigration Quota Act severely sort of limited Italian migration. 
Right. And that's when my great grandparents came. And then Dolores's parents came in the sixties, which would be the post World War II era, which is the people that, you know, that you're mostly working with finding and trying to preserve. Exactly. So that that's, that's wonderful. I mean, I think this is a wonderful project. I mean, the website's wonderful, the Italian garden project.com. You can look at the archives. There's some beautiful photos of gardens on there. And there's some interesting stories of people throughout the blog and different articles. So let me ask you this question. How can Italian Americans, or I guess anybody that wants to help you, how can we help? We're always looking for great gardens to document, real classic Italian American gardeners who still, you know, keep up the old traditions, have seeds from that they may have brought over decades ago from their villages in Italy. And we're really actively collecting those seeds as well. And we're creating a collection of these heirloom seeds that are really, really valuable for so many reasons. So, you know, great gardens, people that have still have seeds that have been passed down. We're also starting a legacy fig tree collection. So we're trying to collect fig trees that meet a certain criteria of being really representative of the Italian-American experience and preserving those as well. So through our website, they can contact us if they know great gardens, if they have family heirloom seeds or fig starts, and just also become a supporter of our work because this has been so far a labor of love. There's a growing recognition of its importance. And to continue the project, we need also financial support of of listeners as well. So if people make it to the website and they really find value in the work that we're doing, and they want to contribute, there's a place on our website where you can become a supporter. That's great. I'm looking at the website right now. Again, it's the italiangardenproject.com. You can go there on the right side of the site. You can donate to the site. You could subscribe to get the email updates. And I'm absolutely sure that between us and both of you, you're going to get plenty of recommendations of gardens from our listeners because I know they're passionate about this topic. I hope that they'll find their way to you. And we will link to the italiangardenproject.com in the show notes for this episode so you can get to it right through our site and make it very easy. So Mary and Elise, I think you're doing wonderful work. Thank you for taking a few minutes to come on the podcast and and tell our listeners about your project, which is great. Our pleasure. Thank you for having us, and thank you for the great work you're doing with your podcast. We appreciate it as well. All right, so I hope that you enjoyed our interview with Corey Passatoro as well as hearing from Mary and Elise about the work that they are doing with the Italian Garden Project. And I'd like to take a moment here to again recognize our sponsor for this segment of the show before we sign off. And our sponsor is Select Italy. Everything you need for optimum travel to Italy is possible with Select Italy. Their helpful travel planners in Chicago, New York, and Shanghai are always ready to give the best advice on when and where to visit while the Florence support staff is there to help should you need anything while you are in Italy. The company recently expanded its offerings and services to the Balkans with the launch of Select Croatia. Visit selectitaly.com and selectcroatia.com. All right, Dolores, why don't you take us out? Okay, you can find us on social media. We are on Instagram at Italian American, on Twitter at Ital American, I-T-A-L, and we are on Facebook. At Italian American Podcast. Con piacere.